You are now listening to the Blue Collar Unplugged Podcast. Sexton gets it. Three seconds. Two. Sexton at one. For win. It's good! It's good! It's good! Your home for all things Alabama basketball. Now, here are your hosts, Blake Byler. Animals are like, I don't know if that like, like resonates <laughs> with you, but like you always see tigers in like, like on pictures and like on TV, but when you like see a tiger in front of you, it's like, what am I looking at? Matthew Gibson. You had Alabama fans selling their on-court seats to Auburn fans for the biggest game in God knows how long. And Jacob Pickle. At some point, somebody's got to take a stand. It's like, hey, man, the Capitol's that way. Chill out. (laughs) No! Stop it! Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back to the Blue Collar Unplugged podcast, a part of the Bama Central Broadcasting Network. Uh, We're on season three, episode three. Uh, I'm Blake Byler, and I'm joined, as always, by Matthew and Jacob. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good, you know. Happy to talk a little summer league, uh, talk a little Wagi, Hobbit Wagi yeah. committing, um, and you know, just kind of whatever else we uh, we get ourselves into this this evening. Yeah, we uh, we have a more traditional episode this time after going live on Twitter for the last one after the uh, aftermath of Jake you entering the portal, but this time Jacob kind of uh, gave a preview of the things we're going to be talking about. But to start with, we got. Um, we have a commitment. Alabama got a commitment from Muhammad Wagi. Uh, we found out Wagi is the correct pronunciation of his last name. Uh, Ford from West Virginia uh, entered the portal after Bob Huggins, um, his resignation. Well, is he resigned? Oh. He's not resigned. The, resigned. The, the University of West Virginia very much says it is done and dusted, but, but I don't think. Yeah, within, within, within the last 30 minutes. Of, of this getting recorded, they released a statement and pretty much refuted everything that he had said in his previous uh, statements that he had put out there. So, oh, like West Virginia just released one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, boy. that's tough. Um, interested to see if Darren Ruff will, will give him the same, same kind of treatment of backing him no matter what um, that he's given to other coaches currently. You know, we'll see. It's it's always an entertain, entertaining time on Twitter during these uh, these situations. No, it is. But whether Bob Huggins is or is not resigned, um, we'll get into the portal, uh, visited Alabama, he visited Kansas State, right? Yes. Um, and then I don't know if he visited anywhere else, but ended up committing to Alabama, um, provides some good front court depth that was much needed. Uh, Matthew, I'll start with you. What is Alabama getting in Muhammad Wagi that is going to make him an impactful player um, this season? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing would be physicality. I mean, he's a, he's a big body, 6'11", around 225. Um, just coming off the bench and really being a guy that can just – and Bama needs to, to, to rack up fouls. Um, he's projectable. Alabama likes him a lot. Um, you know, there's some things to work with offensively. He can be kind of a rim runner. Um, but coming off the bench, he'll just be some extra depth there behind. Maybe Grant Nelson, some support for Nick Pringle and Jaron Stevenson too. And, um, you know, could maybe find a way into a starting role at some point. But – uh, just ideally his role is going to be coming off the bench, being an extra body when Alabama needs to rack up fouls and um, just be that kind of player that has that blue collar mentality that really fits in with NATO's system. 
Yeah, Jacob, what do you think? Uh, I'm intrigued. You know, I think like just having that extra depth that he'll provide, like at the very least, it's five fouls in a game. Um, but I think at most, like he's got some offensive upside that you can tap into. Um, strong physical presence that really just helps kind of tie everything together. Uh, you know, having having a big body like that on the court that can be athletic, you know, make the uh, 50-50 plays, turn those into retaining the ball or getting a defensive stop or a rebound. I mean, that's that's really critical. Like he can be, you know, not necessarily like a, a full glue guy, but, you know, brings things together uh, where there's a lot of already like offensive talent and like – supreme skill already on the roster uh, and especially at that position with Grant Nelson and maybe either even Jaron Stevenson, depending on how he kind of projects and tracks this year. Um, it's just a, a good piece to have for, for front court depth. So great pickup, uh, really great recruiting job after all the Kansas state message boards and recruiting insiders basically said like, he's, he, that man is a wildcat. Uh, but yeah, they thought he was a lock. Yeah. You know, he's right. A lot of guys, like we've seen this portal season and uh, kind of with Kansas State in general, like once they get to campus, they often commit. Like Arthur Coloma didn't even make it to his other visits. So mm-hmm. for Nato's and the staff to be able to come in and grab uh, uh, we is very, very impressive and really a massive win and just shows kind of the recruiting pitch that the staff have together. Yeah, I mean, he averaged four points and three rebounds a game, which is – the modest numbers, but he did it in just, I think, about eight minutes a game, roughly. And so he didn't play a ton. And whenever he did, um, he, he showed flashes. Like, I, I haven't gotten to – I've watched some film. I haven't gotten to really dive into a ton of it. But just some of the things that stuck out to me were how he um, he ran the floor well. Um, he, had, he has good athleticism. He's able to get up and grab rebounds. Um, he's finished lobs. Um, he rim runs like Matthew said, which is always like Alabama's bigs. Like if you're a big playing for NATO, it's like you have to be able to run rim to rim. Like Charles Bediaco by like late of last season, he was great at just running rim to rim, the, walling up on one end, getting a block and then sprinting down to the other end to get, um, either a putback or a layup or, um, catch a lob or something like that. I'm trying to find Woogie's best game. It looks like it came against Pitt. He had 11 points on perfect shooting um, and four rebounds. He had a 10.10 rebound game against Kansas State um, early in Big 12 play. His minutes kind of dwindled as the season went on, but like as a backup big, he's kind of exactly what you want. Like he's a guy who's got size, he's got physicality. He's got the ability to rebound. He's got nice touch around the basket. And so all of those things as a guy that's just going to come off your bench for a group that really needed that, I think that's really a really great pickup that fills a lot of need and and was very necessary uh, to get. Because outside of, um, like, let's say you've got, as true bigs, Nelson, Stevenson, and Pringle, and that's it. And at, at the four and the five, I mean, sure, you could run Sam Walters at the four some, and you could run maybe Mo Diabate at the four some. But those are, your, like, your three main guys outside of Wagee down low. And three guys isn't going to cut it. That's not enough. No. Like, no. last year last year was Bediaco, Clowney, Pringle as your only true bigs. And then they would slide Miller down to the four. But – 
you know, there, there were times where it's like, it's nice to have that fourth big that can come in and really give you a boost, give you like, you're not going to deal with foul trouble with your bigs because you're going to have that extra guy that can put in. I think that also is kind of a vote of confidence from the staff in Pringle because you're taking like, well, is a five. Well, is not going to play the four at all in Alabama's offense because of like, he's not a wing. He can't really play outside. And so taking another guy that's a true five, like Pringle will never play anything outside of the five. He'll always play the four or excuse me. He'll always play the five. He won't play the four or anything like that. And so it's taking another guy like that. That's only going to play the five. I think that's a vote of confidence from the staff and Pringle to take Wagee and have those two be your rotating five men. You know what I'm saying? Cause like, I think yeah. Nelson will run the five some, but taking Wagee means those are your two guys that seems like they're going to rotate. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and, you know, kind of looking at Sam Walters and Jaron Stevenson, it's like they're not really true big men, but like that's where Grant Nelson had played, like at, kind of at the five. Um, but now coming in, like he knowing that, like especially with he and Pringle, like he'll, he'll run strong at the four, like you're saying. So I, I definitely – I think that's a great point. Um, it really Pringle's really established himself um, – in kind of limited opportunities over the last season and in the off season. I think the energy that he brings um, is really crucial. So really being able to capitalize on his athleticism um, and, you know, seeing how he develops kind of on ball, like down low, being a little bit more skilled um, with putbacks and you know, finishes at the rim. That could be uh, just another like leaping point of untapped potential for the offense and for the coaching staff. So, yeah, I, I think with bringing in Wiggy, it would almost maybe make me think that day one, uh, I think this is what we put out, but that Pringle probably will start um, yeah, coming right. into the season. It would be, would be the anticipation with all the offseason moves kind of coming in. So that's that's exciting. I mean, love love Pringle and happy to have that happen. Matthew, what do you think? Yeah, yeah and I think with, with Wiggy too, um, again, I, I mentioned his projectability with, on offense – um, you know, there's already been a couple of clips of him really working on his three point shot. And then if anything uh, on defense, Nate Oates has been able to coach into his bigs, how to go straight up. And that is definitely something we struggled with at West Virginia a little bit. He was a, it was a foul machine. Um, so, you know, just getting down in the post and being able to go straight up is I think something Alabama's going to be able to work into him. And if they can, he can be a really projectable five and someone that could be a really valuable depth piece again, off the bench. And maybe at some point having to start a few games if he needs to. And I think it gives you two true fives and two true fours because, like, Nelson, he played the five at North Dakota State, but, like, he is a perfect four for Nato's. And the way that he can play out on the perimeter, the way he can shoot a little bit, um, like, Oates loves to have that four out, sometimes five out. But in, in both cases, Nelson is a guy who can play out on the perimeter. And Stevenson, I think, has that kind of game, too and that, like, Clowney could play out on the perimeter because he could shoot a little bit, he could put the ball on the floor, drive. I think Stevenson has some of that to his game, too, and he and Clowney also have really similar frames. And so I think you have if you have Stevenson and, and Nelson as your two fours and Wagee and Pringle as your two fives, that's a really good four-man uh, big rotation. And that also lets you slide up a guy like Walters to the three and the things that he can do – um, with his offensive skill set, with his shooting, with his ability to put the ball on the floor, 
um, his finishing ability. If you have a guy with his length, six foot eight, as your backup three behind, I mean, we think it's going to be Ryland Griffin. Like that's a lot of length in your three through five, all six, 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 eight plus guys that are rotating through there. So I think what looked really bleak a couple months ago when Betty Ako left and it was just Pringle and then you're, it, it was Pringle. And then I think at the time it was like, who's the four is it Walters. Is it Diabate? Like nobody knew. Now you have a really solid rotation of guys who may be sort of unproven, but have the chance to step in and be really big time contributors. Yeah. And I, I think whenever you have an opportunity like that, where they're kind of, it's like a, a power vacuum at each position of, you know, really like anybody, any of those four this season could come out and make like a massive contribution beyond what we already expect from them. Uh, and I think that normally leads to someone coming up and doing that. Like uh, whenever you have established uh, kind of roles and things set in your lineup, like I think that can be kind of limiting. And I think there's definitely an opportunity uh, for those guys to really, you know, make a name for themselves, use their upside and just be massive contributor- contributors uh, for the team this year. So yeah, it is. The transformation from the front court of two, three months ago, late May to now is really, it's, it's impressive. I mean, it is really, really impressive what's happened. You know, I know Nelson was like, has long kind of been in conversation with Alabama um, post May 31st, but Woogie transferring the last few weeks really, and that coming to fruition and then getting Jaron Steven to re- Stevenson to reclass is it's just, it's really impressive. I mean, it, and Nate Oates is a recruiter. The staff recruits very, very, very well and continues to do so no matter how the landscape may change, uh, how other schools are doing things like we're getting business done. And it's really, really impressive how that works to fulfill the vision and kind of design for the scheme and system that Coach Oates and the rest of the staff wants to play. Matthew, you mentioned defense. What do you think about the defensive potential of this group? Because we know like – Pringle struggled defensively at times last year. And then you have Wagee. He struggled with fouling. Um, he had a nice block rate last year in his minutes. I think he had like a like a five-point-something percent block rate, which is really high. Um, but he made like defensive positioning, same with Nelson. Like what do you see defensively and what needs to improve from these guys to have a strong defensive front court next year? Yeah, and again, I think it just comes back down to limiting fouls. But with a front court that's now suddenly as deep as it is, it provides healthy competition. So you're going to have Pringle and um, Wiggy that are really going to be fighting for playing time. That that builds, you know, a, a lot of um, you know ability there. I mean, if you're battling against you know each other every day in practice, and then you know trying to get playing time on the court, that's going to be healthy competition for them. And Alabama's they're going to have some length now, um, and I think with Grant Nelson too. He's um he's got some things to work on. He he gets beat a little bit, uh, especially with bigger bodies. But again, he's gonna be playing a four. It's gonna be a new position for him that fits a little bit better. Um, so uh, again, I, I think if you can limit fouls, uh, really nail home some of those uh, points of emphasis that Nate Oates tries to to get at with guys who are young like Stevenson, or even on the wings with guys like Walters, and just coaching them up. There's there's going to be a, a healthy sense of competition that I really think can help this Alabama defense get better as the season goes along. I agree. And I think that the defense, it's not going to be as good as last year because last year yeah. finished, what, like third in Ken Palm? 
yeah. right? And then like two years ago, it was like top five. Maybe it was also third in Ken Palm, I think. Um, but it just needs to be – honestly, it just needs to be better than like 2022 because yep. the, the offense is going to be really good, and we know that. Like that everyone – it feels like everyone can score. Like everyone can put the ball in the basket. And you combine that with like Ryan Pannone's schemes that he's bringing in from everywhere and, and the different schematic – like the minds, the basketball minds that are in the locker room that are helping Nate Oates out. Like you're going to have a really good offensive team probably in the top 10 – Ken Palm, if I had to guess, like 10, 15, 20, somewhere in there. But the defense just needs to be serviceable for Alabama to be a top four SEC team, be competing for an SEC title. Um, I don't know if y'all saw this. It got sent in a group chat we're in. But Tom Crean on Twitter today, um, who former coach at Georgia, former coach at Indiana, he said – just finished watching Aaron Estrada from Hofstra, who went in the portal to Alabama. Go ahead and put him on the SEC all-defensive team right now. Very tough on the ball, extremely quick hands, talks and doesn't give in, just needs adjusting to being screened. So that's a college head coach giving his vote of confidence for Aaron Estrada as a defender on, um, on the perimeter. And so you've got him, you've got Mark Sears, who maybe isn't the best guard defender ever, but he's pesky. And that's what you need from a guy who's small. You know, he's only 6'1". He's pesky. Latrell Wrightsell was a good defender at Cal State Fullerton. That was honestly one of his strengths was being an on-ball defender. And so you don't have necessarily the, the, the length in your starting lineup that you had. And especially in the post, you don't have like Clowney and Bediaco. But you have the pieces to have a decent defense, I think, just on – on paper and with the pieces that are in place. Because, like, Rylan Griffin's a good defender. We've seen him. We saw him take on Wendell Green as a true freshman, who yeah. Green was one of the better scorers in the SEC and had him in a very difficult situation down the stretch in Auburn in that game. And so yeah. you uh, – now, at the same time, down the stretch in, like, San Diego State, Griffin had a difficult time defending. And so he, there, there's going to be some polishing up that needs to happen there, especially, I mean, he could not fight through screens at all in that San Diego state game. He was having difficulties with like dealing with the size of those guys. And I mean, he was an 18 year old, 19 year old going against grown men. Right. But I think yeah, the pieces are there for a decent, at the very least defensive unit with this group. Yeah. I mean, you're, I think, like you're saying, like you really just need the defense to not be like 92nd, which is what they were in 2022. Like you, you need the defense to be like, like if there's a top 40, top 50 defense. I mean, it was the offense was what, 16th in 2022, so basically a like plus 17, uh, plus about 1.7 points per possession net. You kind of grow that out by getting the defense a little bit better and the offense probably a little bit better than that too. Like that just, I don't know, you're, you're in a good spot. Like the, the defense doesn't have to like beat everybody. You don't need to hold teams to 50 points. I mean like the disparity that would happen this season in some of the extreme games like Florida, Vanderbilt, LSU, like you won't, like that was kind of the byproduct of the quality of the team, but I don't think you'll need that good of defense this year. And it like, would it be nice? Absolutely. But the defense will be solid enough. And I think too, like a lot of what 
Coach Pinnell brings with the out-of-bounds plays, um, bringing the ball back in bounds, where so many times it was like left to Bediaco or Clowney or Miller just jumping up and grabbing the ball. Like I think you'll see a lot more innovation there and like look to consistently get points there offensively that kind of were getting left on the table in seasons past. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be excited about uh, with the new additions, what they'll bring from the staff point of view um, and just kind of how the lineup is constructed for next year. I think it's going to be probably a style of team we haven't maybe quite seen before yet. Like, uh, and not entirely different, but not like, I don't know. I feel like so far in Oates tenure, you've kind of been able to point and like everything has been built similar based off of the 2020, 2021 team and like making comparisons to that. And I think it's just going to be going to continue to be different and grow and evolve uh, with a whole new coaching staff in. I have some uh, examples. I have Ken Palm pulled up from last year. Um, some of your like highly rated teams that had high offenses and fairly low defenses. Um, Gonzaga was uh, eighth in Ken Palm. They had the number one overall offense, and their defense was 73rd. Nice. Um, you have Marquette. Their offense was seventh, and their defense was 43rd. Xavier, offense was eighth. Defense was 64th. Baylor, offense was second. Defense was 107th. Um. And then Miami, offense was sixth, defense was 99th. And so those are all like top 25 Kim Palm teams that had top 20 offenses, and then they had defenses outside the top 40, 50. Um, so it, it's definitely possible to have a very good season without necessarily having a top defensive unit. Like we were saying, it just needs to be serviceable. Yeah. And even, you know, when it comes to March, like some of those teams – you mentioned like maybe it went out a little bit earlier because the defense was so poor, uh, but Miami, like the offense was good enough. You know, I think there's, you know, there's, yeah. everybody tries to bracket in your Ken Palm trends of this team has to be top 20 offensively, top 40 defensively. And, you know, there, there is all that. If you, if you put ball in hoop enough times, you will do that. And I can probably guarantee that the defense will not be below. I would not be outside the top 100. I would be shocked. If that was the case. I, that would shock me as well. I, I would be floored by that, to be quite yeah. honest with you. Yeah. And then you have, like, San Diego State, who had an offense at 75th and made the championship game. Right. But then there was UConn that was Ken Palm number one. Yeah, it was they, What, third and seventh? Fool anybody. Yeah, yeah, third and seventh. They were that really seed. was a – Why were they a four seed? They were like terrible after they started like fourteen and zero, or whatever. Like they were, they lost to. Like oh, they lost one two. They lost six. They didn't Georgia. They lost six of eight. Them? Yeah. They. I think Georgetown almost beat them if they didn't beat them. They won three games in the month of January. Yeah, and, and then they, good. but the the metrics were always there. People just doubted them. Yeah, and then after the month of January, they lost two games total. Jeez. The yeah, they were sandbagging. Yeah, yeah, for real. So, y'all want to get into some Summer League talk? Let's do it. So, Summer League, it's happening. 
Um, Alabama's got six guys in summer league. You've got uh, Brandon Miller with the Hornets, Clowney with the Nets, J.D. Davison with the Celtics, Keon Ellis with the Kings. Who am I forgetting? Charles Bediaco with the Spurs. Ah, Bediaco with the Spurs. And Jaden Shackelford with the Thunder. Um, so, I obviously, we're going to start with Brandon Miller, number two pick. Um, did you know he's a bust? Uh, that's what the streets are saying. I can confirm that after one summer league game, he was a bust. Yep. That's what Twitter told me. That is what Twitter was telling me as well. Yeah. So Twitter even, told all of us, so it has to be true. Even in that game, having a better – even though he wasn't going against Scoot Henderson, the narrative surrounding Scoot Henderson's performance was that he's – Oh, he's a star. He's, he's, he's a star, even though he had he's a already, he's worse already line than Miller had. He's but, already – He's already MVP Russell Westbrook. He's actually going to win Rookie of the Year. Yeah. He might. He might. It, it's going to be Chet. Is it? Chet's, is Chet going to play 40 games this year? He's going to play more than zero. Don't you have to play like 65 now to win awards? They changed that. They made that a new yeah, thing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't you know if that's 65 be... games for all NBA teams and all of that. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. So is Chat going to play 65 games? I think so. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, Miller was – I'll admit. So did y'all watch the Sacramento Summer League games before they started playing in Vegas? Um, I watched some of the first one. I was not able to watch much of the second. Matthew, did you? Well, all I know is I that the Hornets summer league team is like probably the worst basketball team oh ever assembled. It it's it's bad. it is absolutely awful. And like I know the goal of summer league games isn't really to win games, but like but still, man, that it it's rough. There, well, these two players are going to be linked together until the end of time, and that is Brandon Miller and Jabari Smith, and. Somebody on Twitter was saying Brandon Miller is currently suffering from what Jabari Smith had to suffer last year, and that is his team is terrible and is full of shot-chucking guards that don't play basketball. They just play one-on-one. And, like, that is what Brandon Miller is dealing with currently in the Summer League. In um, James Booknight, he's bad. Like, what happened to him? He's played terribly. Um, and then you got a bunch of other guards like Amari Bailey, and who hasn't been that bad, and like uh, McGowan's from yeah. Nebraska, and, and it, Nick Smith, and Nick Smith, and you've got oh. a bunch of guys that are just trying to like make the roster, and so they're trying to do whatever they can to like look good so they can make the roster instead of playing basketball. And, and I, I don't Matthew, think you sent a screenshot the other day. No, it's it. Matthew, you sent a screenshot the other day that was it was like. Miller was wide open in the corner, and you had a um, like a guard. Was it Nick Smith or was it somebody else? I think it was. Um, I think it was either. It might have been Amari Bailey. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was Amari Bailey. Yeah, just taking it into the lane on like three guys. Miller wide open. Nobody finds him. Yep. And so, like, I think that Miller has been the the Sacramento games. He looked uncomfortable and he looked bad. And like he scored 18 that one game, but he. Wasn't very aggressive. He didn't look very confident. On defense, he looked lazy. Like, I did not like how he played at all. But the um, he's looked better 
the first two games in Vegas. Um, like the game against Wimbanyama, he guarded him well one-on-one. I thought he, he hit a couple big shots, didn't shoot well from the floor. He hasn't really shot well from the floor all summer. Um, but I thought he looked more comfortable. He wasn't turning the ball over every possession. He wasn't trying to do too much necessarily. He looked more locked in. And I thought the same against the Lakers yesterday. I think that was yesterday. It was yesterday. Whatever. Yeah. So I watched that game, and he could not hit anything shooting the ball. But he didn't look bad necessarily, if that makes sense, like playing. Like he looked okay. He looked comfortable. He looked more comfortable than he had. He just couldn't make a shot. And so I think like the shots will start falling eventually. And he will also get better looks playing with a guy like LaMelo Ball, who is one of the better passers in the NBA. And so once he's playing with guys like that, he's going to get better looks and he's going to make more shots. But I, it's summer league, and I think he's going to be fine. I'm not overly concerned. Yeah, no, playing with LaMelo Ball will change Brandon Miller's life. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. just it's, – it's all the little things too. And it, it's guys – on that level with the, his teammates are not going to be able to do some of the things that NBA level guards can be able to do. I mean, it, it goes down to as little things as like being able to hit Brandon, like in his shooter's pocket, like for maybe a Lamella would be able to do just things like that, where he's not going to get that in summer league. He's not going to get as many opportunities. Cause again, you mentioned it. The, a lot of the guards are very locked in on going to, towards the hoop. And then, you know, as they should too. I mean, I, it's summer league. That's kind of what it's for, for them. But Again, Miller's not going to have too many issues. I, I think the one thing that was the biggest concern was defensively. He didn't seem to be locked in. And you've mentioned this. He was ball watching a lot of times and mm-hmm. just reaching at the wrong times. So, and yeah, it, it's it's concerning. But I think that's another thing where it, once the regular season gets going, it's some Brandon's probably going to get locked in on is working on that. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it's it's the first few NBA games. Like, it's a overly massive stage to get your first like kind of trial run. And obviously the NBA is a big stage, but to not really get kind of launched into things. Um, I mean, it's, it's all things that like, I, I think he will work through and will be completely fine. Um, and, you know, the first year we'll probably see it's like fair share of struggles to kind of break through and get comfortable with the NBA game too. Uh, but I mean, he's a phenomenal basketball player. He, he'll be locked in and find the ways to tune it on. Like, to be able to turn it on and playing with a mellow ball, like you said, Matthew, like that's going to be revolutionary for him. Uh, so I'm, you know, would have liked to have seen a, a little bit bigger performances, you know, for narratives and such um, the last few days, but uh, what he was able to do between guarding Wimbiana and uh, had it crossing him up on that one play that got a lot of run on Twitter. Oh, that was a nice play. That was, that was nice. That that was and that kind of was a little bit of his bag that I felt like we didn't see a lot at Alabama. So that was it was fun, uh, fun to get to see that different side of things. But yeah, I mean, it was you know he looks good in the jersey. The twenty four Miller Hornets jersey will go ultra triple platinum on campus for the next year and the years to come. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's an exciting season of of life for him and for the rest of the guys in the summer league as well. Uh, but before we jump to them, we I feel like we need to have a conversation about Nick Smith Jr. Like maybe maybe a brief conversation, but like it's it's like bad. What happened, man? Like it's a dude was like the number one overall recruit, right? On twenty four seven, he was. Yeah, 
Like and, he, like th- come on. And like for Arkansas, when he came back from like injury, which I know there was some injury, but I, I, there was obviously more to it. Like he looked like very fluid and very good. He like I don't yeah. know. It, it just looks. It was it was hard to watch. So with Smith, let me read you the number one player on 24-7 for the last 10 years and where they were drafted at, right? Andrew Wiggins, number one, drafted at one. Moutier, drafted at seven. Ben Simmons, drafted at one. Josh Jackson, drafted at four. Bagley, drafted at number two. R.J. Barrett, drafted at number three. Edwards, drafted at one. Cunningham, drafted at one. Holmgren, drafted at two. Nick Smith, drafted at 27. That's so bad, man. That's... that's crazy. And it's like not even he sh- he would have been better out sitting out all year. He would have. I mean it, again the closest one like on what the list thought was, he was going to do. Yeah, I mean the closest one on that list was Emmanuel Mudiay who was number 7 and he's 25 today for Mudiay. Yeah. Like we we talked on this show about how we thought he was going to sit out the whole year whenever he went out in December or whenever it was. And if he had, he probably would have gone in mock drafts at that point. He would have gone top 10. Easily. Easily. And even going into the draft, I thought he was going to go top 20. Like, I thought he was going to go in that 14 to 20 range. Yeah. And then he just kept falling. And clearly it was for a good reason. Uh, let's see. He he, uh, he had 11 points yesterday on 3 of 10 shooting. He actually... Oh, well, I was going to say he outplayed Miller, but, like, Miller had 10 points on 4 of 18, which is not good at all. But Miller at least had four assists and eight rebounds. Smith had two assists. Miller led the team in assists. I thought his vision did look excellent over the past His playmaking hasn't been bad at all. Yeah, I I thought it looked very good and maybe the most consistent of – like the different aspects of his play. He had one assist at the end of, or one pass at the end of the Spurs game. That was very, very impressive. Like over the head cross court. Oh yeah. That one was nice. I saw that, that one. Nice. And that like, they have no point guard. Like this Nick Smith is not a point guard. No. That's such a shame. It is. I mean, it's, even when he played like in the Alabama Arkansas game, like he was unreal. And in the uh, SEC tournament, like against Auburn, yeah, in that first game, he was fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't know. That just it's it's unfortunate for him to see that kind of value drop and looking like probably not making that roster. Yeah, I mean that's no, he'll probably he'll play in. Where's their G League team? What is their G League team? Uh, Greensboro, the Greensboro Hornets, right? Mm. Correct. Yes. Wrong. The Greensboro Swarm. That's swarm, like, yeah, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah, he is a, um, he is such a swarm, and that's the thing too. If he's in the summer league, he could really or not the summer league, the uh, the G League. That's going to be a really hard career path to one not have Hornets development system is admittedly not the greatest, and with Smith, you're not going to have great teammates. We saw a glimpse of that in the summer league. So I mean, he's he's in some rough waters if you can't make that roster. Yeah, that's. That it really is unfortunate. Uh, well, he is signed, actually. Is he? Really? I'm I'm looking it up. On a two-way or 
I was going to say, oh, is right. it two-way or is it like a – He a signed two-way. a four-year rookie deal because he was a first-round pick. Right. Okay. So he signed a four-year rookie deal, like two and a half mil a year. I think it's a two and two, like usual. Yeah. I think it's like two years and then a two-year team option, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah. So he's on the team for now. For now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. He need, He needs to improve, though. Yeah. Big time. Will not be seeing a lot. Of um, so then you've got your other guys, um, Noah Clowney, who hasn't really numbers haven't really popped, but mm-hmm. he's not. I don't. He's not the kind of player that's going to dominate the summer league. Like he's not really the guy that's going to stand out. I don't think. Just the way he plays. He's he's an NBA glue guy. Like that's kind of what he's going to be. He's going to be a good defender. He's going to rebound. Um, that's not gonna, he, he's not gonna pop off for 30. And so he shot poorly from the floor in their first game, but then in their second game, I think he had like 8.7 boards, three assists, something like that. Like kind of stuffed the stat sheet a little bit. Um, he's going to be fine for Brooklyn. I, I think that honestly, we don't know what their team's going to look like because they could trade for Lillard or do something or be involved in that trade. Um, but what – I need to look at the Nets roster. But, like, what is his path to minutes? Uh, I don't can't, – can't say that I know much about the Nets roster off the top of my head. I mean, their uh, front court court's going to have guys like Harris oh and then um, Claxton and some others. But it, it's not particularly too. Oh, he could – he could – he's going to get minutes. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to play. And I, I think – you mentioned him having a bad shooting night, but one of the post-game pressures that he did, he said that's what he needs to do is just continue being confident in his three-point shot, yeah. and that's that's exactly what he's going to need to be able to do. Yeah. I agree. Then you've got guys like J.D. Davison and Keon Ellis, who both this past week signed two-way deals. And so Keon went undrafted two years ago. Um, J.D. – I guess that was – in 2022 and then jd was drafted 53rd so late second round both got two-way contracts after the draft and then both got another two-way contract so they'll play some games in the nba probably like 12 to 15 spend the majority of their time in the g league um i think both of them for different reasons have a path to an nba contract yeah i mean it was Davison in particular, I think, I mean, one of his biggest roadblocks is now out of Boston and Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's going to be some playing time that he's going to be able to maybe have up for grabs in a little while. I mean, he's he's got to work on turnovers. He's still turning it over at an extremely high clip, which has been a problem he's had since high school. So, if he can work on that, though, I mean, I think he's got the athleticism and um, really, honestly, fantastic vision. He's can really see it well on the court. It's just turnovers are a problem. And Defensively, he's he's not the most stout, but I, I think there is a path for playing time for JD in the future. I mean, like he's kind of their third point guard because it's it's Derek White, and then it's Peyton Pritchard, and then it's him. That's true. Unless you like, I mean, Brogdon's like what kind of a two? I don't really know what Brogdon is to be honest. I guess he's a point guard, but 
Like there, there is definitely more of a path with Marcus Smart gone, and he's he's got some of the best vision I've seen. Like especially like from a college freshman. Like he was a wizard passing the ball at Alabama, and then he was just like top five in the G League in assists last year. And so that is a translatable skill that can get him to the league. Like passing like that is invaluable. But he has to stop turning the ball over. He had ten turnovers yesterday. But he, he did have nine assists. He almost made the he almost got a, went double double on assists and turnovers. Oh so my the, gosh! If you have ten turnovers and you have nine assists, that's better than like five and fifteen. But yes, you're right. It, it's like the vision's there. He just needs to like maybe check once or twice on like, okay, oh, I no. can't quite do this. Like he's playing within himself a little bit more. Yeah, and unfortunately, he might have assisted one to his pants, too, a little bit. Oh, my <laughs> Did you see he, like, went on Twitter about that? Yeah, I did, and he, he claimed what? It was just the, the, the boxers he said it. He said it was his yeah. tights. Yeah. I'm sure. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's all good. He had his he had his Paul Pierce moment, so it's yeah. that's out of his system that's now. He's, he's a Celtic good. legend is what I'm hearing. A, a Noah Gurley-esque performance in the whole Yeah, life. exactly. <laughs> oh, um, so – too common. Then um, Keon Ellis signed a two-way with the Kings. He was honestly really good in their G League last year. He averaged like 16 a game. And then he was good in their first summer league game. He had 11 points. And just as like a 3 and D guy, like he can make that roster. Like if he's good again this year, I could see them signing him for like the minimum or like a little like one plus one deal. Or something like that. Um, I, I can definitely see it with the way that he seems to be continuing to develop. Yeah, I mean, I think with being on a competing team too, like the Kings, having a guy like Ellis is really invaluable down the stretch of the season too. So, I mean, if he keeps playing like he's been playing, he's been one of the better players in the G League last year and then uh, did well in very limited time in the NBA. But I, I just think that, like you mentioned, there's – there's room for playing time there too. I mean, it, there's always like space for three and D guys in the NBA and Keon can continue um, being able to shoot it at a pretty high clip and then keep up his defensive uh, acumen. Like he's always had. I mean, he's going to be on an NBA team at some point. He actually shot 50% in the NBA last season. That's like excellent. from three. Wow. Um, Oh, it was just six for 12. I mean, he didn't play in the NBA that much. He only played like yeah. 10 games. But still, that's, that's good. That's still he good. shot like 40% in the G League. And so, like, it wasn't like a fluke or anything. Like, he, he's been shooting the ball even better than he did at Alabama. And he was, what, like a 37% shooter at Alabama? Yep. Yeah. So, he was a good shooter there. Um, so, that, that 3 and D role is what's going to get him a contract. And I think another year playing this two-way in Stockton and in Sacramento – like it's very possible that he could get one of those roster spots. It is for sure. Uh, he's just he's he's close, and I think he'll cut out a role for himself there. And, and uh, it'll be it'll be great to see just another success. I wonder if there's a there's something to the shooting percentages with larger venues of arenas. Uh, you know, with in Rupp. I don't know. Maybe the lighting and the, <laughs> you know, his eyes like kind of helps him visually. Uh, 
that's I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something there. I I don't feel like he ever shot particularly well in Coleman. So it, maybe it's a, a lighting situation where he's rough and Disney World. Yeah, and Disney World. Yeah, he shot yeah. lights out in the <laughs> ESPN events invitational. That, that is true. Big, big venues, big venues. Yeah. He uh he probably loves the beam in Sacramento. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I love the beam in Sacramento. It's awesome. It's awesome. Do you see their jerseys? Their their new jerseys that have like the script oh, kings across the chest. They're, they're so good. Like nice. And then their their alternates that are like inspired by the beam. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about like the color gradients across the jerseys. I didn't like when Miami did it. Yeah. But it's fine. So you have your your top tier of like Miller and Clowney who are like on the team, and then you have your middle tier of two way guys in Keon and uh, JD. Then you have your lower tier of guys that are playing. They're trying to get a two-way, basically. And um, Charles Bediaco and Jaden Shackelford, who are going to be – they're not signed to any NBA contract or anything. I guess Bediaco is on a – he's technically on, like, a, a deal that can be converted to a two-way, mm-hmm. I think. But I think I don't know if the Spurs have already used all their yeah. two ways or anything like that. Is Charles? I guess he's on a. Is he on Exhibit Ten right now? An Exhibit Ten, yeah. Yeah. Um, which basically means you go to training camp in uh, in summer league, and then they you can either you'll either be waived and they'll retain your G League rights, or they can convert it to a two way. Um, each they added a two way slot. Um, so now every team's allowed three guys this year, which is good. Um, but he hasn't been playing a ton for the Spurs so far in the G League. I mean, I saw him make a couple nice plays in the Sacramento games. Actually, when Benyamas, they just shut him down. Yes, I saw that yeah, today. So with him out, Bediaco's going to get a lot more playing time. So that's actually really good news for him. I didn't even think about that until just now. Uh, but he's going to get a lot more chances. And then Shackelford is a G League player for the rest of his life. Yeah, Jaden's, Jaden's <laughs> like you said, Jaden's going to be a G League guy for the remainder of his career. He's, he's at some point, at some point, I think he will probably either go overseas or he's going to get a very limited amount of time in the NBA just as a guy that can come off the bench and get a bucket or two. But um He's small. He can't play defense. He can shoot. He can just always really shoot. shoot. You know what he could do? He could get a 10-day and have like a Yogi Ferrell run. You remember when he got a 10-day and just like went crazy? I could see Shackelford getting a 10-day and going and like going like seven for nine from three out of nowhere one night. And like he gets like a sports center graphic on Twitter and then no one ever hears from him again. No, then he goes and plays in Serie A basketball league in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to go to like, Dante um, Hall in Monaco. Yeah, yeah. Go, go look up in Monaco for AC, or AC Milan. That's what he needs to do. Dante Hall's be, living the dream. I don't know why you would ever not do that if you're a G League guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's just he's just one of those in between guys. He's a lot like a I'd say Levi Randolph. Levi Randolph had a very brief yeah yeah with the um with the Cavaliers and never played in a game in the NBA and then went overseas and was actually, I think he finished second at, uh, for G League MVP one year. I think Shackelford's probably 
a guy that could end up doing that at some point. He could point. do that, yeah. Who um Randolph he, was good for the charge. Yeah, he could have one of those careers. You guys remember Andre Ingram for the uh for the Lakers? He was like a 35-year-old rookie, came up. He's yeah, like, hey, he's 35, just give him his chance at an NBA roster. I could be shocked for one day, but That'd as a serious player, he's just not gonna be able to, to get up in there. I'm waiting on Shackleford's 10 day. It's gonna um, happen. It will happen one day. It'll be great. And It'll when it does, Alabama can add another little jersey to the wall in the tunnel of That's NBA true. players. That's true. And I'm waiting for the day that he goes off for like 20, all three pointers. Yep. Zero zeros across the board in every other stat. Yep. So, so just nine. shooting threes. Maybe like four turnovers. Yeah, yeah he allows, probably lost like. twenty five, but scores twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost offsetting. <laughs> oh, and uh, and you know, Mediaco looks. Uh, he, I will say, he looked more agile and athletic and less like brittle. I, I thought he looked a little bit more ready. Um, I think he will hopefully make the G League roster. Uh, got a lot. He will. Of- Got a lot to sit behind in San Antonio. I think he's like guaranteed to be on the G League roster at this point, like with with them signing him to the Exhibit Ten. Because like if they waive him, then they're waving him from the from San Antonio, and he'll go play in Austin for sure. Cool. You know, I I thought he looked decent. Uh, Like I I was I was impressed. So and then I I was surprised that John Petty didn't play in the G League or in the summer league. In the summer league, I, I don't know what the reasoning behind may might just not be good enough. Like, I, I, think, it, I think it's just over. I the other thing is like, good. New Orleans has a lot of like Pelicans guys on their roster, on their summer league roster, and so they might not have just had enough spots at that position. Trey, Trey Murphy was playing in the summer league, correct? Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels, who were both first-round picks in the last two years. Yeah. Um, Jordan Hawkins was their first-round pick that they just had. Um, such, a, such a Pelicans pick. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's not surprising that he's not playing. I mean, let's let's be honest about it. He's played every year in college, and then he's already been in the the G League. Twenty four. Yeah. Yeah, he's also everyone on the Pelicans summer league roster is either a second year or a rookie. Yeah, they don't have any third it, year or more. You know, it, it just is what it is at this point for him. They should have played Kyra and let him torch the summer league. Go go play. Let's see. I mean, Kyra would be averaging like like fifteen points a game in the summer league. Yeah, he would. Borussia Dortmund's got to have like a, a basketball associate club. That's where John Petty needs to go. <laughs> it's, it's to uproot the family and go go play in the basketball Bundesliga. The uh, Pelicans need to trade Kyra Lewis. Yeah, I was going to say, Lewis is uh, is definitely on the trade block, along with Colin Sexton. So maybe before the season we see uh, two Bama they guys. both go to Miami. And honestly, Clowney could probably be in a trade package too if they end up trying to go get Lillard. I mean, that's that's been a speculated thing. I've seen some. He should go to Miami. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen I've seen some people use Clowney as a trade piece for Brooklyn, which makes sense. If, I mean, it's, I it's could see it. Yeah, first round pick. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah. What other guys are there in the NBA that there are to talk about? 
Herb Jones has just signed a big deal. They just, yeah, he did. He got, he got paid. paid. Um, you know who did I, not get paid? Is he notably, Mister Mister Trendon Watford did not get paid. No, um, I, he didn't. I did drop out of school. Well, thankfully, I did not drop out of school to become his agent. I would be broke and destitute. So that is, thank you, thank you to whoever gave that advice. Um, for I wonder who not listening to it. Yeah, tough scene, tough scene. Very. And then the. Uh... Sexton, it actually who's getting paid more? Sexton or her Sexton? Herb's probably getting paid more. I mean, Sexton's, Sexton's getting 17 mil a year. Yeah. Herb's getting 13. Ooh, okay. Herb's getting 54 for four years, right? Yes. That's 13, 13 and a half, which is great for him for a second yeah. round pick. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. That's awesome. He'll be in the league for a long time. Absolutely. He will be. Um, and no. so will yeah. all of the guys that aren't on two ways. Like, they'll all be playing for a good bit. I always enjoy NBA free agency contract money and comparing it to, like, the MLB. Like, Matthew, who like – off the top of your head with the Braves contracts, like, I think there are, like, multiple long-term signed players that are making less annually than Herb Jones. Yeah, like, Ozzy Albies is making Trey uh, yeah. Murphy money. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy, actually. And he's like what top five, top ten in the league in RBI. I think he's leading second yeah. base. Albies has been the best second baseman in baseball. That as how it's been so far this year. I mean, he's on pace for forty-eight homers or something ridiculous like that. So, and is anyone making Lamelo Ball money? Uh, I don't. What is Lamelo's contract at the moment? He just got a two sixty for five year extension. No, that's no, no. Fifty-two a year. No one's making that. That's Some, a shame. Sho- Shohei Otani will in four months when he's in Atlanta Brave. I'm sure. Yeah, and when he just owns the entire uh, battery of Atlanta. Yeah, as part of it. I mean, yeah, it'd be a worthy <laughs> investment. I, I think it's something he needs to look into. It's no, awesome. like actually, I, I, I we're I, talking baseball out of nowhere, but that that is something <laughs> that happens. It's, it's the it's the dead middle of summer. I've made this point to my dad, made this point to many people of if somebody's has somebody has to pay him money that's barely real, why should it not be that's the barely Braves real <laughs> and make them the none like, of it's real anyways. Probably the greatest baseball team in the modern era with Shohei. That's all I'll say. And I, I think, you know, with the sale coming up, the diversion of Liberty Media from owning the Braves, I think it's entirely possible. Yeah. You could also see the greatest basketball team um, in the modern era if we trade for Damian Lillard. It's possible. It, it is possible. They would certainly be one of the best players of all time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. 82 well, and 0. 82 we're and trading, 0. We're trading Hawkes and Hero. He looks great. I, I mean, Hawkes. I love Hawkes. I, I love him. I've already Hawkes called him. Summer, he summer league legend. Nah. He's Mexican Jimmy Butler. He is. That's exactly what he is. Yeah. Um, and, and then he, um, Jovic is untouchable, I've decided. If we want Lillard, we can't give up Jovic. He's perfect. He's 6'11". He's like yeah. – he's 6'11", European, who can shoot, put the ball on the floor. He's strong. True. 
he's literally the next Giannis. Yeah. We just have to keep him. He Which, won't be if he goes to Portland. No. The, the, you know, there's, there's a lot he left. There's, there's a, <laughs> we're, we're very early in the NBA offseason still, despite all the deals. Like, there's... There's a lot, a lot of, a lot of things out there. Oh. Yeah, and Portland's GM wants to not let it happen. Yeah, so. Portland is also the place where developmental front court players go to die, i.e., Zach Collins and others. Bad, very bad. Yeah. Nurkic is fine. Nurkic is fine, but did he start there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we've been rambling, so it might be time to. Say so we have any any other shout outs? <laughs> like we've gotten all the possible shout outs. Yeah, we've uh, hit everything, haven't we? I don't know. I uh, coaching staff's hot on the recruiting trail. That could be another episode we dig deep into. Oh yeah, next episode I want to talk about the coaching staff. Kind of look at each guy. Yep. I think yeah, that'd be cool to do. In the future, be on the lookout for Blake Byler's player breakdowns. The next one is going to be, I believe, yes. Sam Walters. Correct. Sam Walters. I'm sold. I'm drinking the Sam Walters Kool Aid. I'm yeah. so in. Player deep dives coming for sure. Um, it, it appears my laptop charger is in the other room, and I'm on one percent. So, oh boy, yeah, that's gonna be it for this episode. <laughs> uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we will see you guys next time for episode four.